Hi, it's Al Sarasovic, sports editor at the San Francisco Chronicle, coming to you with a special edition of our Niners Notebook and Raiders Wrap podcast. Uh, I'm here with uh, Niners beat writer Eric Branch. How are you doing, Eric? Doing great. Thanks, Al. All right. Matt Kawahara, who covers the Raiders for us. Matty? Hey, Al. How are you? All right. And then Ron Krojcik, longtime sports writer for the Chronicle. What do you say, Ron? Well, I'm lucky I don't cover either team, I think. <laughs> all right. There you go. Yeah, normally we'd be sitting around talking about all the stuff that's going on on the field for the Raiders and Niners, but that's been a pretty ugly story this season. Instead, I think we got a, a treat for you today. We're going to talk about an, a really important, big story that we've been working on all year. Um, we have a series of stories called The Future of Football that we're going to publish this week. We essentially went into this whole thing thinking about a big question, which is what's going to happen to this game that we all know and love now that we know that football can cause serious brain trauma and uh, all kinds of problems, including an up to suicide for some of its former players. Now that we know that as a fact, what are we going to do about it as a, as a society? What is the game going to do to change? Can the game be changed or made less violent? All these questions were asked and we tried to answer. You can see this whole series of stories at sfchronicle.com, our premium website. Go check it out and read about the future of football, I'll start with uh, Eric Branch. We asked Eric to take a look at what's going on in the NFL, the biggest moneymaker in the game, the biggest sport in the country. What are they doing to to make the game safer for the participants, for the players, Eric? What'd you find out? Well, I think we did this series at a very opportune time because there, there are actually significant changes happening in the NFL. They did have a spike in concussions last year, and that led directly to a lot of the rule changes we've heard so much about this year. Among them, the helmet-to-helmet rule, uh, stricture rules as far as roughing the passer. Um, so in the course of reporting, talked to a lot of people from the NFL, their chief medical officer, uh, their you know head of health and safety, and talked to people uh, not, not affiliated with the NFL. One of those guys uh, was Chris Borland, the former uh, 49ers linebacker. Right. The fans probably remember him for his amazing rookie season, after which he retired. Why did he retire back then, Eric? Obviously, uh, you know, concerns about uh, brain trauma. Uh, you uh-huh. know, he had two reported concussions throughout the course of his entire football career, but he suspects he has at, had at least 13 concussions. Wow. And that doesn't include what he gets into, you know, as far as subconcussive hits. So, uh, Chris Borland, you know, has a pretty healthy skepticism as far as the NFL is concerned about if you can even track con- concussion data. Yeah. Uh, you know, the NFL put a number on it last year, 291. Wow, 291. And Chris Borland says or suggests that is that is faulty to even say you can put a number on it because there are uh, so many go unreported. Obviously, players, you know, are incentivized to not, you know, run to the coach or wherever and say, "Could you please replace me and put the put my backup in?" <laughs> because I think I might have had a concussion. Um, so he he had more substantive ideas rather than rules changes, which he thinks are half measures. Um, but regardless of the NFL's motivation and regard, regardless of how much you can track conc- concussion data reliably, I think it's safe to say the rule changes are affecting the game as far as you know. You, we see scoring go up, and right. I think defensive players are more in a, a situation, uh, a more passive situation. Let's not kid ourselves. I don't think football can be really fundamentally changed. There's always going to be violence. But I do think some of these rule changes, you know, has not made it defenses passive, but but I, I do right. think there is a real correlation. More hesitant, I would say. Right. I um, think there's a correlation. Right. Uh, 
Um, yeah, that's what, you know, a core question we ran into over and over again, which is how do you legislate football? How do you legislate a naturally violent game? And uh, that's what the sport's wrestling with. And, and you can see it up and down the food chain in football. Uh, Matt Kawahara, our Raiders writer, is here as well. And um, he uh, was asked to look at youth participation. Basically, is uh, Johnny going to be playing football anymore? Um, so, Matt, what did you find out uh, in terms of the numbers and how many kids are out there playing ball? Over the last decade, uh, the number of high school athletes, high school boys who are playing football has dropped. Um, pretty a notable drop. It's been 6, 6.77% uh, over the last 10 years or so, and that's really coincided with a lot of the concerns about head injuries. And uh, to piggyback off something that, that Eric was just talking about, um, when you talk to parents who are letting their um, letting their kids play football right now or to high school coaches, because you haven't really seen technical changes in the sport. I mean, they're not changing the rules. I mean, they're, they're implementing these new potential rules and penalties and stuff, but because the, the fundamentals of the game are staying the same, the argument um, for from some people who support having kids play is that you need to start teaching it the right way early. Right. And so that it could be, it becomes a question of at what age do you actually let kids go out and hit each other? I mean, if at all, right. is that a good idea because of the inherent health risks or if they if you do think that these kids are going to be playing football over a long period of time, do you want to start having them learn how to quote unquote hit the right way at a young age? It's a chicken well, or the egg thing. I've heard Borland speak on this subject at uh, the Aspen Institute symposium. Um, uh, you can see all that online. Uh, which is where I, I, I heard it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he talks about basically there's there's no real safe way to tackle altogether. The game is so fast and chaotic that uh, as a result of that, he is a proponent of, of starting tackle later in the game. Um, I just went through it myself. My son just played uh, – I mean later in, in, in kids' lives is what I meant to say. Um, I just went through it myself. My son played high school football and. Yeah, it was a lot different from when I played 30 years ago where we knew that uh, it was a violent game, but uh, now parents like myself are armed with, with more data and more understanding of what the game can really do to you. And it was, a, you know, it was a tough call for us as a family. We got through four years of it, and I'm kind of glad it's over. So uh, let me kick it over to Ron Krojcik. Uh, you know, uh, Eric, in this series on the future of football, wrote about the NFL changes. Matt dug into whether kids – are, are playing football, less kids are playing football. And then we asked Ron to go at the, uh, the kind of what I found to be a very interesting part of this is how is this game going to involve? What is football going to look like in 20, 30 years? And uh, what did you find out, Ron? Well, I think you start with the premise that look how much football has changed in the last 20 or 30 years or even the last five or 10 years. Um, the proliferation of, of seven-on-seven leagues in the summer you know, much of my reporting started with a, uh, one of the many high school tournaments in the summer. That's seven on seven, no linemen, no shoulder pads, no tackling. Um, and that's becoming more popular. Flag football, you know, to answer, to sort of address one of Matt's issues, um, Chris Borland has said kids shouldn't play tackle football until high school. A lot of people believe that, in part for technique reasons, in part for scientific reasons. Their brains haven't developed as much as adults, mm -hmm. so they're more vulnerable. Um, and what that sort of led to is popularity uh, in, in the seven-on-seven, seven, in flag football. Uh, Patrick Walsh, who's the head coach at Sarah of San Mateo, Tom Brady's alma mater, coincidentally, um, he started a next-level flag football league in addition to his duties as the varsity football coach, and that league has just exploded. 
it's in more and more cities, more and more kids signing up because parents are reluctant to have them play tackle earlier. And that's he was one of the people I talked to for my story, and he said he can see that becoming a high school sport, flag football. Now, initially, he thinks it will be in addition to tackle football. Right. But who knows 20 or 30 years from now when we know more about CTE. The, the game is gonna, has evolved so much in the last decade, we don't really know where it's going to go, but it certainly is possible right. that it's not the game we're, we're accustomed to seeing. I think your first point and, and everything you had to say was fascinating. I, I also see uh, a possible trend towards more of a speed and agility game on the corners without as much of the, uh, the head banging and the line. But uh, your point that about previous evolution, um, you know, you go back over 100 years ago, uh, college football players were dying on the field. Uh, President Teddy Roosevelt had to step in and basically right. uh, ban the game for a while while they tried to legislate it, you know. And the so we have made steps in this game over and over and over again. It's just a question of whether we're going to have the the will to keep going in that direction, or let's let's look at a, a question we can throw around in a little more loose conversation. Here is is there too much money on the table? You know, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars in the NFL colleges video game industry, advertising industry. Uh, Eric, is anyone going to walk away from that? Well, again, I think the NFL is obviously, that's a very powerful entity, and they're doing everything they can to change things uh, to a point. But but again, uh, it's football, and we get into subconcussive hits, which a guy like Borland says, that's the biggest issue. And that's baked into the game, and it really can't be changed. So, to me, that's the scariest part. So, are we going to continue on this on uh, this path as a society, uh, basically uh, um, cheering our gladiators as they're out there hurting themselves? Uh, you know, maybe is that okay, Matt? I mean, a lot of the players will tell you. You probably talk to NFL players as much as anyone at the Chronicle. Um, you definitely do. Um, you know, a lot of them will say, "Hey, man, I know what I'm getting into." You know, you guys are paying me to do this. You know, I'm not afraid. This is a macho culture. You know, uh, what do you think the players think on that front? Yeah, that's an interesting question because the players are already in it, right? They've already made this decision that they're going to play this sport. And I think um, the question for them, and I guess this ties into the youth thing, is is I'm doing this now. Am I doing it so that my my son potentially doesn't have to? Or, like, would I let my kid play football? Some pretty big names have said they don't want their kids. Right. What, what, yeah. And there's, um, from what you were talking before, there, there is a socio economic aspect to what you're seeing in terms of the number of kids who are playing. Um, this sure. was opposed by uh, one of the. It's a Pop Warner um, coach or sure. a guy who runs a league in San Jose, which is, you do see that maybe some of the families who don't let their kids play football. Um, you know, th- those kids feel like they have other options to go play. They're because, better off. They might be able to afford club soccer teams, things sure, like that. Yeah, there's definitely that. Right. And then there's also if you come from maybe a, a lower socioeconomic background, then you see football as potentially an avenue to, you know, to making money. And you, you'll be more willing to risk some of those health uh, sure. impacts to for the potential payout. What do you say, Ron? Is football uh, going to be the next boxing? Because that's what happened to boxing, right? I mean, no, nobody with the uh, sane parenting or, or a decent upbringing would, would go out there and get their heads uh, beat in in the boxing ring. I guess they do in the UFC as well, but 
you know, well, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of academics who've made that point that it's yeah. becoming a socioeconomic thing that the, the, the families with, with money and the wherewithal to pursue golf or basketball or yeah. baseball or sports that don't have that physical risk will take it. And that the people who end up playing football are the ones who see it as their path to a better life. Which is which is sad, but it's part of part of the reality. Right. Um, I'm I, to college, you know, I've, I've heard a lot right. of college coaches say, "Hey, man, this is the only way some of these kids would have got here. This is improving their life." Um, so, well, I think it, I think the, the whole if you look forward into the future, which was my assignment in this, the question sort of becomes where what, what's the tipping point? I mean, not to be overly cynical, but the NFL needed a book to be written right. and several a lot of other pressure to make and, and the concussion data that Eric cited to make these changes and the NFL and they've known about this for decades, of course, right? They're, they're just, they're just protecting a, a multi-billion dollar industry. I think it was $14 billion in revenue last year. Um, I, I think it's, 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 you know, a little crazy to think that they're, their fir- foremost concern is the player's health, right? They're trying to find that medium point, that compromise where you can protect players enough and still make your billions, still make your billions right. and keep the public pressure off. Um, so what does that mean for the game, right? That's kind of what we're trying to examine here. Right. And I think the first thing it means, as I wrote about in, in my piece, is no kickoffs. Um, you know, we've been debating today all these changes that the NFL's made to kickoffs, the Ivy League has made to kickoffs to try to discourage returns and reduce concussions because the data clearly shows that's where a lot of concussions happen. the most dangerous play in football, right? So, and, and Steve Young, in, in my story, very clearly said it's close to being extinct. Right. And, and it... As Al pointed out, it reaches. It, it's almost at that stage where what's holding you back? Just get rid of kickoffs. Yeah. I, believe, I think Pop Warner is has or is going to eliminate kickoffs. Well, and, and everybody's moving that way, right? Yeah. The Ivy League is, is very blatantly saying we're moving kickoffs to the 40-yard line. We're doing everything we can to encourage touchbacks and fair catches because we don't want these players running full speed into each other. Oh, man, it drives me crazy. Just just get rid of the kickoff. You're not going to – I mean, like, they keep doing these half measures and stuff, so – Well, I think it, it's just a yeah. – it's a part – it's this it's this baby step evolution to get to a place in 10, 15, right. 20 years. You know, think about it. 20 years ago, who would have imagined that there would be so much focus on helmet-to-helmet hits? Back then, there were literally they were highlight- celebrated. Well, there were literally highlight right. shows with the biggest hits of the week. Yeah, I think right? and now he got jacked up on ESPN. Yeah, <laughs> and we're at, we're <laughs> in such uh, a different place in the, uh, in the history of the game now because of more information. It, it's so hard to, uh, to 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 read about this stuff, and sometimes you just have to laugh laugh at the absurdity of it. Um, the uh, so you know, I kind of throw it out to you, podcast listeners. Uh, you know, what are we going to do as as consumers? of this sport um you know my, my piece of writing this thing was was to to do an opinion column uh where i advocate a little bit here and there on on what i think could happen and what should happen as a society um and you know i start the whole thing off by by pointing out i loved playing football i, I played high school football i wasn't all that great at it uh, when my first play on they, they sent me in someone got hurt and i ran in there and i got a concussion i think it was yeah uh it was an A gap blitz uh, uh, caught me, and I, I, you know, what they would say, bell rung. Uh, back then, I remember being on the sideline, or not remember half of it, and uh, for maybe one play, and then went right back in there. And uh, I, I love playing the game. I love the camaraderie of it, especially the teammates. But when I look back at it now, it's it's you know, we didn't know all that that we know now, and, it, and it's kind of crazy. So um, I, I think it's a interesting moral question for football fans 
are you okay with this? Is it okay for guys to be getting hurt so bad that they eventually, you know, commit suicide? They can't deal with the trauma of it. It's it's a really difficult question, and you know, I, I don't know that we have the answer, but we'd like you to read all about the issue at sfchronicle.com. The Chronicles' future of football series lands this week, and uh, why don't we uh, kick it over to Ron on that? Well, I was just going to make the point that I think it's easy for fans to feel detached because they don't have a connection, right? right. It's not their kid. It's not their uh, family member. But you know, we started, for, for some perspective here, in 2007 – uh, we did a, a story on the 25th anniversary of the 49ers' first Super Bowl team. I remember that was a great story by you, Ron. Well, and Glenn Schwartz deserves the credit. It was his idea. And, and rather than just a normal anniversary piece, we looked at the physical effects of football on that team. And the reason I bring this up is is one of those guys was Dwight Clark. And Dwight Clark, who made the catch. Well, first of all, Joe Montana, who threw that pass, as I'm interviewing him, can't look up from the desk because his neck is so bad, right? Right. Dwight Clark can't make the catch because his shoulders are so screwed up. And in that piece, Dwight Clark said, and I asked him, would you do this again, given all the physical issues? And he says, unless it causes me to get a disease that takes me out, I would. Well, that's pretty chilling now because he he came down with ALS, which some medical researchers believe is connected to head trauma. And he died earlier this year. It's incredibly tragic and sad. So I guess fans just need to consider, you know, there's an emotional connection to a player like Dwight Clark. So maybe that's an extreme case, and, and certainly it's not proven that football led right. to his ALS. He believed it did. But Dwight believed that, yeah. He absolutely believed that. And it, on some level, whether it's premature death or a, a horrible quality of life for a lot of these players, that needs to be taken into account as, as we consider all this. Wow, that's a, an amazing anecdote and tells you a little bit about the kind of reporting Ron Krojcik's done in his career here at the Chronicle uh, going all the way back to that story on the Niners. Um, so this is a big topic. Um, Future of football, the series will land at sfchronicle.com this week. Uh, multiple parts. There's amazing documentary photography. You can, uh, there's uh, videos you can watch that will educate you about what's going on in the, in the game, the modern game of football. I'd like to thank you, Eric Branch, for joining me today. Good thank luck. You. Yeah, thank you, Al. Appreciate uh, it. Matt, Matt Kawahara, our Raiders writer, was also here. Thanks for all your hard work on the project. Thanks for having us. And Ron Krojcik, one more time, thank you. And uh, looking forward to keep working with you on important stories like this. Thanks, this, Al. This is Al Sarasovic, sports editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, signing off. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. You can check out all of our shows at sfchronicle.com slash podcasts. This show was produced by me and Fernando Diaz, our managing editor of digital. To see all of our coverage on this topic, visit sfchronicle.com slash future dash of dash football. Thank you for listening.